Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as always, we got a lot of ground to cover in the fastest 60 minutes of radio as we actually attempt to help you slow things down, help you divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation, connect the dots, and help you make the news make sense today. And there is a lot of it. Uh, the uh, All eyes are on the United States Senate and the state of Georgia, uh, where the balance of power will really prove out. Uh, But more importantly, we need to look at what is it that's going to give us the resilience to move forward? Do we have resilience in our institutions? Do we have resilience as individual Americans and in our communities? And we're going to get right to it today. Very pleased to be joined now by former Senator Jeff Flake uh, from Arizona. Uh, Senator, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. So you've got a, uh, uh, an event you're doing uh, with the Wheatley Institution at BYU tomorrow at 11 a.m. And uh, you're going to talk about uh, the resilience of the institutions uh, and how critical that is as we try to improve civility and get past all this polarization. Uh, you've worked and, and really understand the institutions, uh, 12 years in the House, six years in the Senate. Uh, what is it that we need to look to to really preserve and rebuild those institutions? Well, I mean, we've been through a really tough period um, and a tough election where obviously volume was turned up significantly and uh, some people were concerned about uh, institutions of American democracy, uh, freedom of the press and separation of powers, independence of the judiciary. And and, uh, we'll discuss those things tomorrow and see how we fared during this time and and looking forward, uh, see, you know, how these institutions are shaping up, uh, what changes need to be made. Um, uh, But but most of all, I think we're headed into a period, hopefully, where the volume will be turned down a bit. And uh, and I think that uh, these institutions have held. Uh, I think some of them have been challenged, um, but they have held. And that's the good news. Yeah. Uh, I had uh, Yuval Levin from uh, AEI on uh, not too long ago, and uh, of course he's written an entire book on the institutions and making sure that we preserve those. And one of the challenges he says that we face, particularly in Congress, uh, is that you do have a a number of 
senators and and uh, representatives in Congress that are using the institution more as a platform or a stage uh, for their own pursuits, for their own political purposes, rather than really nurturing uh, the institutions itself. Is that going to be part of the challenge? You talk about dialing things back, turning it down a little bit. Do we have the kinds of people in Congress now who can actually have that restraint and focus on the institution versus their own agenda? Well, I, I think we've always had some element of people using the institution to forward their own uh, their own means. But uh, but I do. I, I, there are some good, talented uh, people on both sides of the aisle, and we're headed into a period uh, where it looks like it will be divided government. And it's been my experience that divided government is the best government, uh, where no one party feels that they can impose their will on the other. And we, I hope that we can discover the you know the art of persuasion uh, again and we've we've kind of gotten in a cycle where we uh, try to simply impose our will and uh when the other party gains majority uh block what they did and and that with divided government that will be more difficult uh, to do particularly uh with with uh one joe biden who's going into the white house after having spent 36 years yeah. in the senate and uh eight years as president of the Senate, as vice president, who, who frankly was in the Senate when it uh, earned its moniker as the world's most deliberative body. Uh, we, it would uh, be hard to describe the, descent, uh, the contemporary Senate that way, but it has been. And, and I, I think that uh, we're in for a better period of government, frankly. Yeah. Uh, in your last speech on the floor of the United States Senate, uh, you, you talked about some things in terms of truth. You talked about the institution as a whole and the, the great deliberative body that it had been and, and needs to be. Uh, what is it that gives you hope in these uh, in this upcoming period? You say it should divide the government should lead us to better government uh, as long as we're willing to have those conversations. Well, we have no choice. We've got some significant issues that we need to address that uh, that no one party wants to take on by their by themselves. Uh, take our our nation's finances. Uh, you know, we were running a trillion dollar deficit before Corona hit us. Uh, now it's a three trillion dollar deficit this year, added to a twenty six trillion dollar debt. Um, our you know our main entitlement or safety net programs are stretched, um, and soon we'll be. Uh, you know, unless we uh, reform them, uh, they, they simply won't last. No one party wants to do that by themselves. They can't. They won't take the political risk. So that's one where the parties will be forced together uh, to share the political risk, uh, to hold hands and jump, if you will, as we've done in, in previous decades. Um, you know, there are other big issues like immigration reform. No one party wants to deal with that by themselves. They they want to to share that political risk as well. Healthcare, uh, obviously, we're going to continue to need to reform and uh, and deal with that system. We also need to reengage with our partners abroad, our allies, and and that is an area where we've uh, always seen more bipartisanship uh, than with some of these other areas. And so I'm looking forward to that being an area where the parties can work together. If you're just joining us, we've got uh, former Senator Jeff Flake uh, from Arizona joining us. Uh, he'll be part of uh, an event with our good friend Paul Edwards down at Wheatley Institution at uh, BYU tomorrow. It's a free online event. Uh, you can register that at 
uh, for that at wheatley.byu.edu. Uh, a great conversation there on this uh, resilience. And, uh, you know, to me, it, it seems to be that we, uh, you mentioned uh, the finances issue, our, our national debt issues, immigration, health care. Uh, and it seems to me that what the American people are really longing for, even if they don't quite know how to ask for it, uh, is for our, our leaders, particularly in Washington, to you know sharpen more pencils than knives and, and get about solving the American people's problems rather than solving their own political problems. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the political incentives are really misaligned now. Um, if you're an elected official over the past couple of years, certainly, uh, during the last few years I spent there, um, every incentive is when a big issue comes up, um, like you know, our nation's finances or immigration reform or a controversial judge or whatever else, is to, to run to your tribe and state where you are and don't indicate for a second that you might be open to persuasion, <laughs> that you might uh, change your mind, heaven forbid, or that a hearing that you might be chairing might somehow inform your vote. Because once you do that, then then all sides are after you, and uh, and you make a calculation. I just want to anger one side, and they really won't be angry because they never thought I was gettable. Right. And that's kind of the that's that's the cycle that we've been in, and that you know deliberation uh, is just pushed away because there's just no political currency for it. Um, you know, reaching across the aisle used to get you plaudits. Now it gets you a primary. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. and so until that political calculation changes, and I think it will, it has to, uh, then then we'll see these incentives misaligned and uh, we'll see more you know, sharpening knives rather than pencils. But, uh, but I, I think that um, leadership at the top means a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you have behavior modeled uh, from the White House and from our congressional leadership, then that goes a long way, and, and I'm, I'm hoping we're in for a better time there. Yeah. Uh, just final final question for you: uh, as you as you've been out of the uh, the arena for a little bit, you're still obviously very active in uh, your commentary, your work with CBS, and a host of other things where you're speaking and sharing uh, your insight and and how we get past this political currency exchange and get a little more uh, political courage exchange. I think is what we're after. Uh, what has what has surprised you after leaving uh, the Senate and and Congress, uh, and what have, what perspective have you gained uh, that you wish you had when you were in office? Well, we, we have a, a completely different backdrop, uh, you know, to politics than we we used to. Um, when I first ran, you know, twenty years ago, um, it you know social media was not there, the the mainstream or traditional media wasn't nearly as polarized. So it's it's a completely different backdrop, and it's been easy. It's been interesting in the past two years to not be right in the fray, but to kind of view that. And what uh, has has been a little uh, disheartening is to hear people say, "Well, I, I I just you know social media is a snake pit. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to be on it." Uh, and I understand that completely yeah. Uh, yeah. because it is it is a toxic environment. But uh, what I do when I speak at universities or or have any forum, it's to encourage people to get a, get involved and to get online. Um, you know, we'll have the, the platforms will change, but social media is here to stay. And this kind of uh, immediate uh, response and dialogue that that hasn't been healthy. Um, we need as, as politicians 
politicians need people to be involved in constructive ways to, uh, you know, to raise a level of debate, um, to require deliberation, to reward behavior. Um, and and if, if members of Congress see that, if they have more people commenting in positive ways rather than adding to the vitriol, then uh, that will help. Uh, believe me, there has to be some kind of political currency to deliberation. Yeah. And, and once there is, the politics will change. Oh, love that. Great, great insight. Uh, former Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona joining us here on KSL News Radio. Senator, thanks, uh, thanks so much for your insight, for your perspective, uh, and for your service to the country. Greatly appreciated. Well, a great group of people at the Wheatley Institution doing good work. All right, fantastic. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, it is time to honor our veterans today. What you can do, what you should do, what we all need to do. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.